Hello, all you reinventors out there. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the founder of Covey Club and also the founder of this podcast, Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. And I have a very longtime friend, Jill Granoff, who is a managing partner at Eurasio and CEO of Eurasio Brands, who we're going to talk to today. And not only is she a fellow Dookie, but she uh, has worked in the fashion industry when I was there and just a super, super inspiration. She has moved around through many beauty and fashion jobs and now is in private equity. And she's just an inspiration because when you really listen to her, what she did when she was choosing her jobs, whether it was conscious or not, I think you'll hear, she didn't just job hop. She didn't just job hop up the ladder. She job hopped in a circular motion where she would see the different sort of sectors and different angles on the same item. I think that's a really interesting way to look at reinvention, which is to go from the consumer side of something to retail or go from retail to consumer or retail to manufacturing. So she had this kind of 360 look at many things, and then she could take that information and that know-how and apply it to different areas of, of her interests. So I think it's a different way to look at reinvention. And I think you're really going to enjoy listening to Jill. And she has some wonderful tips and tricks for you at the end of the conversation. Welcome, Jill. I'm so glad you had the time to talk to us. Thanks so much, Leslie. I am delighted to be able to share my stories of reinvention with all of the Kobe listeners. Certainly something I've done quite often throughout my career from consultant to operator to now investor. You are absolutely an inspiration to me, which is why when I was like, you know what, I got to get Jill to come chat here because you are, you are just always on the move and you are always looking at what's next, which I love. And you have that spirit of constant reinvention. So let's talk a little bit about where did you grow up and what did you start out thinking you were going to do or what did you do when you just began? So I grew up in New York um, and I wanted to go to school outside of New York so that I could really expose myself to the world at large. As you know, I went to Duke, as you did, which I loved very much. And my goal was to become a psychologist because oh. I really loved working with people and solving problems. And so I majored in psychology while I was at Duke. Uh, but quickly, I kind of identified that instead of working with individuals, I thought I'd like to work with groups and that I would become a psychologist to business. So someone oh. at Duke actually said, oh, you should go for your MBA. Uh, and that is what I set out to do, to get my MBA um, in organizational behavior and be a management consultant. I didn't know you started out as a psychologist. How interesting. And I didn't understand the leap into business from there, but that makes a lot of sense. So what were the first few things, because we'll, we'll go through them very quickly, that you did in business? So look, you know, I went to business school so that I could really round out my skill set. And I think business, you know, it's about 
people and money at the end of the day. Uh, and obviously today there's a higher purpose, which is nice to see, but I felt that I needed to get the, the grounding, you know, in uh, areas like, you know, economics or marketing or finance. And I ended up majoring in finance. Uh, and when I got out of business school, I actually went into management consulting. And the interesting thing here, and you'll see one of, you know, my tips later is to leverage relationships, but no one wanted to hire me initially, uh, even though I had like really good grades, I was very young. I mean, I went to business school, I was 21 and they were like, you have no work experience. How are you going to help us? And all uh -huh. the big consulting firms, they said, you know, we'll hire you when you graduate, but no one wanted to give me a summer job. So I actually, you know, leveraged some relationships and got an interview at AT Kearney and was able to land a summer job there in management consulting. And interestingly, when I graduated from Columbia Business School, all the big firms were then ready to hire me. But being the loyal person that I am, I ended up going back to A.T. Kearney because they gave me my first break and they believed in me and my capabilities and potential, even though at that point I still didn't have the experience. So I was at Kearney. I was there for several years. I did a lot of work in sort of industrial consulting. And I have to say that was really not my cup of tea. Uh, actually, <laughs> okay. they thought I was there to serve them cups of tea, uh, being oh, a young no. woman in, in heavy industry. Um, so eventually the, the founder, one of the top guys at AT Kearney went out and started his own firm. He invited me to go with him, which I did. And I said, can't we do work in the consumer industry? I really understand that a lot better. Um, and this would be another tip, you know, work in industries and for jobs that you're really passionate about, that you really understand, because you spend so much time at work, you wake up every day, you want to really enjoy it. And so sure enough, uh, we landed a job, a consulting engagement with Estee Lauder, and I ah. thought I died and went to heaven. Um, and that's uh -huh. how I got into the beauty business. Ah, uh, now I understand it. Okay. And so what happened after Lauder? So look, um, you know, look, I, I consulted for Lauder for two years. Uh, I decided I didn't, you know, when you move up the ranks in consulting, it's about selling work versus doing work. I really love to do the work. So I approached my client, who was the chief operating officer, and said, who's going to implement all these recommendations? You should hire me. Uh, and sure enough, he did. This will be another tip. Ask for what you want. I said, you've just spent all this time and all this money, you know, doing these consulting engagements. But what you really want to do is drive the results and I can work and come work for you to make change happen. And so he hired me. And that was the start of 10 years at Estee Lauder, uh, five years on the corporate side and then five years on the business side working in the Estee Lauder division. And my background really is in sort of strategic planning, but also, you know, finance, business development, operations, et cetera. So I had 10 wonderful years at Estee Lauder. Uh, I sat two doors down from Leonard Lauder, and that is where I learned aspirational brand building, but primarily in the wholesale channel, because at that point, it was all about sort of the department store world. Mm, how interesting. And where did you go from there? So look, so my boss, uh, Robin Burns, she was a real mentor for me. She left, she was hired by Les Wexner to go to Victoria's Secret to build their beauty business. And, and Robin and I were a phenomenal team with really complementary skills. And, and I saw that the, that the world was sort of evolving more to specialty retail. Um, and I said, wow, what a great opportunity 
to actually run retail, not just develop great products and sell it in as we did at Estee Lauder, but actually run retail stores and have direct interaction with the customers and sell it through. So I went to Victoria's Secret Beauty. It was about half a billion when I started and we grew that business to a billion dollars when I left. And, and I really learned not only aspirational brand building again, but also how to optimize the customer experience. And I ran a thousand stores at Victoria's Secret and also had the good fortune to launch Victoria's Secret into the international marketplace. So 17 years in beauty wow. in total, uh, which was a really, really a phenomenal experience. I have to say I'm quite fortunate to have learned at the heels of both Leonard Lauder and wow, Les Wexner. Oh my God, incredible. Now I understand it. I understand the, the rise much better now. And what happened after Victoria's Secret? So look, you know, after 17 years in beauty, uh, you know, I got bored launching fragrances, but, but even more important, I knew that I needed to be in New York, uh, you know, Victoria's Secrets in Columbus, Ohio. I was commuting back and forth, but ultimately all red roads led to Columbus, Ohio. And I said, you know what? I think now is the time to reinvent myself again and to do something different, right? I went from consultant to operator now I was going to go from beauty to another industry. And, and so some people get sort of stuck in an industry and they're known as a beauty expert. Yes. I sat back and I reflected upon what I was really good at. And what I was good at was brand building and really understanding retail. And I felt I could take these skills and apply it to an adjacent industry. And so I started networking um, and talking to recruiters and they actually presented an opportunity for me to go to Liz Claiborne. Um, and the idea was to head up their direct to consumer businesses. So any brand in the Liz Claiborne portfolio of which by the way, there were 40, any brand that had a full price store, outlet store or website fell under me. And they Holy had a lot Molly. of people that knew wholesale, but they did not have a lot of people that really understood retail. And so I made the leap. I had to learn fashion. It's a, you know, you think it's similar, but there's sort of a whole new language. Yeah, Lifestyle is a lot shorter. It's very yeah. different. And um, so I went from Victoria's Secret to Liz Claiborne. Uh, and there I had global responsibility ultimately for... Uh, Kate Spade, Juicy Couture, and Lucky Brands. So pretty phenomenal uh, to, to have responsibility for, you know, over a billion dollars, a billion and a half in volume across three iconic global lifestyle brands. How long did you stay there? So I was there for about three years. You know, initially I came in, I was just running retail. We had a change in CEO and he said, you know, it doesn't make sense to be structured by channel we have to be structured by brand. And that's when I was promoted to take on not only retail, but wholesale licensing, international, a real omni-channel approach because Lauder was wholesale only, Victoria's Secret was retail only. And now wow. I had the opportunity to run brands across channels, which definitely can be complex. You think about product assortment, sure. pricing strategies, promotional cadence, sure. uh, the, the, the uh, talent requirements. But that really set me up for my next opportunity, which was I received a call one day from Kenneth Cole. Um, I was known as the girl that could work with founders because I'd worked with Leonard Lauder. I had worked with Les Wexner. I had worked with, you know, the Juicy Couture Girls, the Lucky Brand Jean Boys. And basically, Kenneth needed someone that could work alongside him to channel his creative vision. And I decided at that point, instead of running a division of a public company, 
this would be my opportunity to run a public company in and of itself. And there are not a lot of women running public companies. So I felt right. this was an amazing opportunity. And I really, you know, um, admired Kenneth's vision, not only in business, but what he was doing. I think he was a, you know, really a, a leader and a trailblazer in terms of focusing on, um, you know, social causes and purposes. And so I was very excited to take the leap uh, and to be the CEO um, of Kenneth Cole. Um, unfortunately, it was in May of 08. And oh, in September, right, the global right. financial crisis hit. And right. so all the plans we had worked on to thrive became plans to survive. Uh, I have yeah. to say, Leslie, it was a very, very tough period. Yeah, sure. That makes sense for everybody. Yeah, I mean, imagine it all terrifying. Your, your, it was terrifying. All our partners were cutting their, their orders. Right. Um, sales went down. You still have your costs in place. We went from yeah. making money to losing money yeah. overnight. Here I am yeah. running a public company. No one teaches you how to deal with the street. Oh, how to yes. deal with the oh board. my God. It was uh, public too. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, look, we had to make hard choices. Um, as you do in business. Right. But, you know, what I said is, you know, this is like getting lean. We're going for the marathon. We're going to get in shape. We had to close <laughs> stores. We had to right-size the organization. Right. We had to close. I mean, like, you know, this was about survival. And yes. But I have to say it was a great period for me because I knew how to grow businesses, but to right. learn really how to deal with adversity yes. certainly set me up well, you know, for the global uh, pandemic. Oh, very good. Okay. Interesting. So after yeah. that, what did you do? After, yeah. So look, after, after that, that, I became, you know, I wasn't just the build it girl. I was the fix it girl. I was um, actually recruited by a private equity firm to fix one of their brands uh, in their portfolio called Kelwood. That was also subject to uh, many of the same issues that Kenneth Cole was in terms of, you know, people not shopping, costs needing to be reduced. This was a company on the verge of bankruptcy. So I came in and I wow. really studied the business. And I said, look, you know, you have some amazing brands here. Um, and when I looked at the business model, which I had to sort of reshuffle a little bit, I said, you have this brand in, in the Kellwood portfolio called Vince. Vince actually does a third of the sales and more than 100% of the profits. And if we focus on doing a few things better, which is what Les Wexner taught me, focus on the few things that right. can really move the needle, right. um, that would be the answer. And so I really doubled down on Vince. We ended up uh, taking Vince public. It was a, a crazy work period for me. I was the CEO of Kellwood. I was the CEO of Vince. I led an IPO, hardly saw my kids and my husband. I mean, but we took Vince public. We achieved a billion dollar market cap. We raised 375 million in debt and equity. We paid down all of Kelwood's debt. We saved the company from bankruptcy, Good um, which was really, really great. Um, and then I went on and, and was the CEO of Vince, my second time uh, running a public company. So, you know, that was, you know, another, you know, incredible experience. But, you know, I felt that I was really remiss. And, and I'm sure so many women struggle with this you know, with my kids and, and my husband, but most importantly, my dad was very, very, he was very ill. And, um, and I knew that I needed to really, uh, you know, step off of the, you know, the, the, the wheel for a minute and really just go spend some time with my family because my father was actually dying and I knew I, uh -huh. I needed to be with him. 
So I stopped work and I, I took a year off. And I think this is a really important thing for women to do, to take some time off and to really reflect on how they want to you know, spend their life and what's important to them. And I have to say, we saved my dad, uh, which was amazing. Um, and there's nothing more important, in my opinion, than family. And then I said, what do I want to do next? And I sat back and, you know, I looked at a lot of different options. I'm like, do I want to run another public company? I mean, there's really high stress, it's short-term focus. Um, mm. and, and one day I got this call from um, a woman that I had worked with um, at Goldman Sachs, again, the importance of relationships. And she said to me, you know, Jill, maybe this is time to reinvent yourself again. I think you'd be great in private equities. There's this company called Eurasio you know, whom I had never heard of. It's a leading French uh, investment management firm. And she said they're opening an office in New York and they want to launch a new investment division focused on consumer brands. And I can think of no better person than you to do it. And I'm like, wow, well, what do I know about private equity and making investments and running the team? But she said, just meet the CEO. I think you will love her. And, you know, let's see, I often make my decisions based on people, people that mm -hmm. I believe in that have a track record of success that will mm -hmm. give me opportunity and support me. And, and, and Virginie Morgan, um, our CEO, she and I just clicked and, and she said, here's an opportunity to launch Eurasio Brands, a new division based in New York. We're going to allocate capital from our balance sheet. And we'd, we'd love you to build this new investment platform from us. And, and I have to say, my husband said to me, you know, Jill, you always like to buy shoes. Now you get to buy shoe companies. This is like <laughs> the perfect job for you. <laughs> uh, what are some of the brands that you're holding now? So, you know, we, we launched know five years ago. Yeah. So we have 12 brands today. We invest across sectors. So obviously beauty and fashion, which I know, but we do food and bev and we do pet, uh, you know, in the beauty arena, we have uh, Nest, which many people oh, know, the, the fragrance lifestyle brands. So they Nest. make like, yeah, that Nest is great, and what an amazing team they're doing, really, really well. So we we have Nest in fragrance. We had Pat McGrath in color cosmetics. Oh, we, you have Pat. We love Pat. Okay. Yeah. Big so names. We, Pat. we we exited Pat last year actually, but we we okay. you know, worked with Pat in the early days. Uh, Beekman, eighteen oh two in skincare. Last week we announced a deal in premium hair care with a company called Jisoo. So those are um, beauty investments. On the fashion side, we have Herschel, which you may know for backpacks, Bandier in activewear. Oh, we I love them. They're wonderful. That's great. These are great products. Yeah, so they're, they're good. I have Janu, which we just did, which is medical apparel for the healthcare professional, sort of like mm. the Nike of scrubs. So that gets okay. us into consumer and healthcare. And then we have food and bev with Waterloo sparkling water, Q mixers, Dewey's cookies. And also uh, in Europe, we have a premium pet food brand because no matter what people love their pets. So we you know, decided we would focus on not only sectors, but themes, which really resonate with today's consumer, whether that's comfort and casualization, premiumization, better for you. So I'm glad to say that my portfolio has done well through the pandemic. Uh, we employed a lot of the uh, you know, lessons learned from my days at Kenneth Cole when we had the global yes. financial crisis. So, so overall, you know, I, I feel very, very blessed uh, and of course, a lot of this is due to my outstanding team. You know, I have a great partner in New York, Adrian Shapira. I have a partner in Paris that runs my team there. Um, because at the end of the day, it's not about the individual. It's about the power of the team. And, and I have That's an amazing right. team 
that's been uh, really helped me drive these incredible results. Awesome. So if if people are thinking like, I mean, that's a quite a leap into, but I see the connection now into private equity. I mean, I guess it's different when you can get into private equity in the area that you're well known for. And I see some women who have done that through beauty and fashion. That makes that makes a lot of sense. But I guess if people are thinking, well, this is what I do now, how do I make that leap into private equity? Again, it probably has to be done through the sector that they've got experience in, right? I would say yes. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I really believe in connecting the dots. So, you know, let's think about my career. I was a consultant to Estee Lauder. And then I became an employee at Estee Lauder, right? I had the connection there. I was sort of an internal consultant and then I moved to an operating role. So I had the knowledge of the business, right? Then I, uh, I built brands in wholesale in beauty. And then I moved to building brands in retail in beauty. So it's about sort of leveraging what you've done. Then I had the retail expertise in beauty and I applied that to retail expertise in fashion. I did that in a public company and then I was able to do that in a private company and private equity. So, you know, I would encourage everyone to think about your experience base broadly so that you can figure out how to connect dots, whether it's relationships, whether it's industry sectors, channel expertise, you know, product knowledge, you know, functional capabilities, whatever it might be, because you can leverage those skills into new areas and connecting the dots is what has made the reinvention a little bit smoother for me. Certainly in any new role, there's a lot to learn. Um, and that's all about, you know, asking questions and, you know, today on the internet, you could read and learn a lot. But I think one of the ways that I was able to reinvent myself was by connecting the dots and leveraging prior experiences into new experiences that were related. So when you were in your various posts, do you think it was conscious or are you just curious about the other side? Because for instance, when I was in publishing, there were big walls between editorial and advertising. No one moved across those barriers. And it was, you know, even if you said you wanted to, they'd be like, oh, well, you know, you couldn't do that because you just did editorial. It seems like you were able to move across barriers and see the 360 on, on various industries. Was that conscious? Were you like, oh, I've seen the consumer part here. Now I want to see um, the manufacturing part or. Yeah, that- I would say in some, in some instances it was conscious and in some instances it was curious Um, So, for example, it was a conscious decision to leave consulting to go to Estee Lauder. I mean, I initiated that move and it happened. Um, So that was definitely a conscious decision. You know, the the move to Victoria's Secret, I would say that was more opportunistic. Um, My boss and mentor, you know, Mm -hmm. was leaving and and I wanted to to really stay with her. Uh, Maybe that was Uh conscious, too, in that regard. Um, you know, I mean, I made a conscious decision that I wanted to do something different than beauty. Uh, you know, I didn't want to do beauty for 40 years. It was great to do it for 17. So, um, it's probably a combination of being curious and then taking the steps to, to move on that, to, to reinvent and make a change. Cause I think there's a lot of, or there were a lot of barriers. I don't know if the barriers have gotten more permeable, um, with the world we live in today or where people feel, I hear people who are trying to reinvent and they, they, you know, 
I don't know yet whether it's coming from them that they think they can't get over those barriers or if they really exist. Or it may just be industry specific, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, look, what I would say is certainly earlier in my career, it was tougher being a woman. Um, I don't feel those same barriers today, but I also picked industries and companies where there were women at the top, uh -huh. um, right? So when I, you know, at Estee Lauder working, you know, for Robin, you know, the, the woman that ran international was a woman. I worked for a private equity firm that's led by a woman, beauty is oh. an industry where most of the customers are women. So what I also tell people, you know, a lot of people ask me for career advice is look what people do in addition to listening to what they say. Because a lot of people will say, oh yeah, there's a lot of mobility for women, but then you can look at the senior executive ranks. Are there women or not? Are there boards composed of women or not? So look at what they do, but in, in picking a company like Lauder, you know, or in, you know, even picking Eurasio, which is a French company and in French companies, 40% of the boards must be women by law. So oh. I think the selection criteria might also facilitate the reinvention process by picking companies that are receptive to what you bring to the table. And that could be gender, ethnicity, you know, skill set, whatever it might be. So let's talk a little bit about any struggles with reinvention. Were there moments when you made a change and you thought for the first month or two, uh-oh, like maybe I didn't do this right, or maybe I'm in over my head, or... Was it always smooth sailing or did you have any bumps? I mean, there are always bumps in the road. You know, we, we all like to talk about, you know, the, the good times. Obviously, there, there are always challenging times. And, and for me, it was anytime you went into a new company, it was really learning the industry, learning who the players are, um, you know, and I think there's an important role for, for mentors and sponsors to play. And that would be another thing I would encourage people to do is to find people that could really uh, help you assimilate. I mean, when I moved into the uh, investment world at Eurasio and private equity, and I'm like, okay, I know how to build brands. Well, this isn't about building brands. It's about making smart investments. Mm. Uh, and that's different. You can build a great brand. It might not be a good investment if you overpay or if you don't have the right governance rights, or if there's no way to, to exit the investment. So I had to learn a lot, you know, when you come in, people think you're an expert and then, you know, you, you need to learn. So I just, you know, reached out to people that I knew um, and asked, you know, a lot of questions and also offered to be helpful to them, whether it was in, you know, staffing of their own portfolio companies, whatever it might be. So it was a quid pro quo, but, but I would say with every period of reinvention comes the period of learning where on the one hand, you could leverage the skills that you have, but on the other hand, you really have to learn something new. Uh, and that takes time uh, and managing expectations. And look, you know, you, you might make, uh, you know, some mistakes along the way. Uh, the key is to learn from them and not to repeat those mistakes. I agree with that. Though I, I do hear a lot of women are afraid to be honest about what they don't know. You know, I think it's much better to be honest about what you don't know. But the other thing for me is always be prepared. There's so much you can learn now on your own. I never go into a meeting without researching the company, the individual, uh, you know, the competitive landscape. There's so much information that you can glean now. But if you don't right. know the answer to something, just say, you know, I don't know, but I'm going to look into that and get back to you. And that mm -hmm. shows um, honesty and it shows humility. And I think these are traits that people look for, uh, you know, in, in managers and leaders as well. So I, I think it's much better not to 
you know, fake it till you make it, but to be prepared, put your best foot forward. And if you, you don't have an answer, it's okay to say so. Uh, and then follow up and get back later. How has the ability to reinvent yourself changed with age? Has it changed at all? Uh, well, I would say I need a little bit more sleep. <laughs> Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I think I have the good fortune. I used to be able to exist on four or five hours of sleep. Oh. And, uh, and you know what, you can do a lot more when you don't need to sleep a lot. Um, but now, definitely, you know, I need six or seven hours. So, you know, look, it's, it's a lot of hard work. Uh, you know, I believe in trying to have a, you know, trying to, you know, be 360 in my life. I have a great marriage. I'm married 35 years. I have two great kids. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time with my mom. I try to get back to the community. I sit on boards. I do work, you know, so I'm still, you know, always in fifth gear, but I think um, I, I get tired a little bit more easily. I need a little bit more sleep. So, you know, what I've learned is a, um, you sometimes you need to say no. I used to say yes a lot. Um, I think you sometimes need to say no to free up your time. You need to set clear priorities in terms of how you're going to spend your time. You need to delegate. Uh, that's also how you develop your team and your people. So, you know, you can't do it all. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I've gone from leader to, to coach in many ways mm -hmm. of my team mm -hmm. uh, to enable more to get done. But I would certainly say that, that the evolution uh, with age has been, you know, the need for more sleep, the need for a little bit more balance, and also just perspective in terms of, you know, how do you really want to spend your time? And the key here is to focus on really driving value creation uh, and moving the needle and spending your time on things that really make a difference. Do you find that as you've gotten older, you don't panic? Like I, I remember when I was younger and something would go wrong, you know, a, a celebrity would bail out on a cover that was just about to happen and I would panic and it would be like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then as I got experience, I can look back and say, you know what? I never had to put myself on the cover. We always found somebody and it always worked out. And, you know, I didn't need to throw up in my, in my garbage can next to my desk, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, I don't know. You know, my personality, I, I'm, I'm pretty calm. Oh, um, you are. So, okay. Yeah. I'm pretty calm. Uh, you know, I, I don't really panic. I try to stay cool, calm, collected. Um, but I always surround myself with the best and brightest people. So I don't go through these things alone. I try to ah. get great minds in a room. We have a problem. What are the possible solutions? Let's write the pros and cons of each. Which one are we going to pick? How are we going to move forward? You know, I, I think it's important to, I'm, to try to stay calm, focused, uh, rational, and, and move forward. Um, you can only control what you can control. You look at your options. You make your best decision at the time. And if it's not the right decision, life goes on. You make another decision next time. I wish I could have called you all those times. <laughs> it was panic city. So mm -hmm. as we close, what last, you've given us great advice and great thoughts, but anything else for... Um, someone who is trying to make those kinds of moves. I like the 360 move. I think that's really very interesting. And we really haven't talked about that before. I think that that develops somebody in a way that maybe they're not thinking about, which is usually they're just thinking about what's the next job. Not, am I looking at something 360 so that I can make more of myself and of the business? Does, is there anything else along that line that you're, you want to leave us with? Yeah, I would just say at a broad level, you know, you know, sort of three points. Number one, you know, leverage relationships. We all have relationships. Think back, 
on the people that you know, personally, professionally, and how they can be helpful to you and how in the future you might be able to be helpful to them. Uh, I think that that's really key, especially as you're looking at reinvention. We, we all know people in different industries, different sectors, different functional areas. And so, you know, make a list of those people. Uh, feel free to reach out to them. It's so easy to do today, you know, with, with LinkedIn, uh, et cetera. So that, that would be, you know, one thought is to, to really think about who are people that you know that can be helpful, even if it's just from an education perspective or from a connection perspective. I think the second, and I'm kind of known for this, it's ask for what you want. Uh, a lot of people don't speak up. I think it's really important to ask for what you want, but be sure that you do it um, and by looking at the request from the other person's shoes. So not how this opportunity can be beneficial to you, but how your unique brand and skill set can be beneficial to them. I have asked for what I wanted in many occasions, whether going to Estee Lauder, my move within Estee Lauder, going to Victoria's Secret, so many different avenues. Um, and so I think asking for what you want and speaking up is important. But again, be sure to do it um, by looking from the other person's perspective. And the last, um, I guess, advice I would give is it's really important to deliver results. A lot of people talk about activity. I focus on results. I don't really care how hard people work. If they deliver uh, results, that's the most important thing. And so just focus on what is the goal? What is the objective? What does success look like? What are the results you're trying to achieve? And when you have a track record of delivering results, that will lead to new opportunities. That becomes your reputation. That becomes your track record. That becomes your brand. So leverage relationships, ask for what you want, but most importantly, deliver results because that will set the foundation for the future. Wonderful. That's so well delivered and so well thought out. And yes, results speak for themselves. And very interesting to hear you say that, you know, we do hear a lot of, well, I tried really hard. It's like, well, yeah, but that didn't get us there. So that's not enough. So anyway, wonderful, Jill, you're a total inspiration. I love the, the very, just give me the facts and we're going to find, we're going to find an answer, which is wonderful. So thank you. Where can people find you? Are you out on the internet anywhere or are you pretty much internal? Um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, that's about it. You know, I'm just, I'm so busy with 12 portfolio companies and again, yeah. trying to be 360 with my family. Right, so, right. but so not uh, you know, LinkedIn much. is probably the best way, you know, for, for people to find me, you know, on okay. my profiles there and that would probably be the best. Okay. They can follow you there. Wonderful. Jill, thank you a million times. And so wonderful to have you as a friend and thanks for talking to Covey Club. And thank you, Leslie. It was a delight. And hopefully I provided some good words of wisdom for all of the Covey listeners. So thank you, you again. All right. Big hug. Bye. Bye. So thank you all for listening to this conversation with Jill Granoff. I think she's just a super inspiration and what a different trajectory than most of the people we've spoken to. And if you are interested in reinvention, which I'm guessing you are because you're listening to this, mosey on over to the Covey Club and check out all of our content about reinvention and all the things that go with reinvention from brand building to how to present yourself on video today to how to get your own business off the ground we've got it all if you're trying to find your way towards reinvention we got you covered as we say at covey club we hold a space for you while you figure out what's next <laughs>